Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're going, and we're going round, round Springfield. Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by so many different things. Um, oh, are we doing oh. that again? I missed that from the old <laughs> podcast. I, I know. Me too. Me too. Well, I was going to say this episode is brought to you by Saturday Night Live, <laughs> Futurama, <laughs> News oh. Radio, Clerks oh, the fave. TV Series, Joey Amazing. the TV Series, <laughs> um, and a little show called The Simpsons. I've heard of it. Yes. We are, of course, talking about the IMDb page of our illustrious guest, um, who we've had before on our previous iteration of our Simpsons podcast, where he talked to us all about the Surfsons, uh, which was, I believe, the season 30 premiere or 29. He'll correct me. Um, I just want to get right to it. Everyone welcome Brian Kelly. Hey, everybody. Hey, <laughs> you're on with everybody now. Anything you want to say to everybody? <laughs> well, I just want to say to you, that was a terrible coordination on the round Springfield. You guys were <laughs> you know what, off. Brian? <laughs> Thank you. Brian, let me, let me just explain. We do it in a round. It's supposed to be like a row, row, yeah. row, oh, your boat. It's like row, row, your boat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I don't think yeah, um, I haven't sung a round since like third grade. So, <laughs> okay. Brian, I just want to check you right now. You're coming on our turf. So if you could please just like, you know, respect yeah. us, that would be, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be thrown off a podcast. That would be, that would be embarrassing. Um, you know, you missed one though. You missed the Michael Richard show and I'm a little, little upset about that. I'm sorry. Did we, Do you want to... did we miss it? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, I sort of, I was involved in two failed like spinoffs to like the biggest shows ever. We've already listed some of the most exciting things that exist in the TV space that you happen to work on. But uh, let's start uh, at the very beginning in terms of just what was an early moment that you knew that you wanted to pursue comedy? And did that love of comedy start as a child and maybe begin in acting or in uh, doing funny cartoons? Or where did you start? How did this all begin for you? It really started with listening to Steve Martin's stand-up albums. Yeah. If anyone hasn't listened to them, they are unbelievably great. You know, he was doing really inventive, sort of really written material. You know, it was it – was, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't doing crowd work. He was, you know, these things were very carefully crafted and, and performed. And, um, and so my dad would just play those and I would listen. We'd sort of sit in the room and listen to them. And at first I was just laughing when he laughed because I didn't get any of the jokes. <laughs> I just listened to them over and over again. And so, yeah, it's really started with him. Uh, and then Monty Python, of course, for anyone my, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50 now. So it's uh, anyone my age. I mean, they were just enormous, you know. So those are really the two big things. And then, as you know, I grew up, I watched Saturday Night Live every week. I think several times when I had presentations in like, you know, middle school or high school, I would do, you know, Hans and Franz and or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible versions of uh but yeah, and then and then the first time I ever really thought about writing, this you know this fond memory hasn't aged well, but it was reading Woody Allen's uh, stuff, and uh, yeah. I don't go back and read them anymore. But it's just so uh, you know he do these these collections of um, just short comedy pieces, and you know so you get you get a fresh premise every three or fifteen pages or however whatever the length of it was, and that was really inspiring. It's and and. So yeah, but I, I never, I didn't actually consider being a professional comedy writer until I just, a friend of mine, when I got to school said, you know, hey, I'm trying out for the Lampoon. Do you want to, do you want to, you know, do you want to try out for it? And, you know, I, I never thought that I could actually write comedy until I tried it and got a good reception. And, and then I, from that point on, I, I stopped going to class. And I, I <laughs> so when you say try it, you know, you tried it and you did it and it was received well. Um, so you hadn't really done, uh, I mean, obviously you'd written like school papers and you had written here and there, but like um, actually writing a script or the, the type of submission that you did, what was that like for someone who hadn't already kind of come out of the gate with the idea of, I want to be a comedy writer? It came pretty naturally. Um, I, I was just always. I know, I know. It was well, but it's. I'm not. I'm not talking about writing scripts. I mean, writing a script is a, 
you know, I'm talking about writing a one page comedy piece, you know, of course, of course. Uh, we have an idea, you, you do a few, you know, twists and turns in it and, and, and you, and you hand it in. It, it's taken me, I'm still not good at writing scripts, it's taken me years <laughs> to, to learn, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about something that's, that's, you know, 20 minutes or a half hour long or whatever, or, you know, you're writing a movie or something, that's, that's a totally different endeavor. But what writing little comedy pieces does is it teaches, you know, you to have a very clear premise right. and develop it and be concise and, you know, try to kind of make every word count. And, and that wasn't I, coming up with comedic premises. Wasn't that, wasn't that hard uh, for me. I mean, they were, there were nothing. I, mean, I look back on them now and I, they, they, they seem terrible. Right. I mean, <laughs> you always look back on your early stuff and, and yeah, I look back on an email I wrote, last week and get really sad <laughs> yeah you get like chills down your spine like how could i <laughs> yeah just rereading things i post in my instagram stories and like it's not right. even that i'm writing anything profound i'm just recapping a tory spelling yeah. memoir i'm reading but i'm just like oh i really could have written that better in that one <laughs> sentence at 7 a.m <laughs> Exactly. But that's what growth is. Hating Absolutely. yourself. You know, like exactly. if you didn't hate yourself, then where would we be tomorrow? <laughs> I know. <laughs> hating yourself, hating the young <laughs> yeah. and the future you, you see walking around like you're a looper. <laughs> I hate them all. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't really go in for the thing that, you know, in order to be an artist, you have to be tortured. No, not at all. But then again, like, I do hate most of the. <laughs> I do hate a lot of the stuff I've written, which is so I don't know. I don't know what that says. But, well, how do you um, get around that? Because of course, like you know, I think that when we talk like finding creativity, the like feelings of imposter syndrome or being a hack, like especially when you're writing comedy, is something that is ever present. And of course, you need parts of that to kind of be critical with you know like editing your stuff and making it good. How do you navigate around it? Or how how did you do it back then? How do you do it now? Is at the same process you go through or just push through and finish the thing and turn it in yeah i i used to be a real like perfectionist which is not a good thing you have to be completely willing to rewrite yourself and to throw out material and all that but i had a hard time completing things because if they weren't perfect i was embarrassed by them yeah um and it took me it wasn't really until my second professional job that i that i realized that oh it's okay that it's not perfect and that you know i I'm surrounded by funny people who, who can fix these things and, 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 you know, we're working together. And, and so most of my career, if I've, you know, the finished product has been only partially my work and it's been much better than what I initially turned in. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the way you pay people back is you, you know, you give them jokes and help their stories. And so, mm -hmm. um, I love that part of it. And it's, it's definitely become less of a, much less of a perfectionist as I've gotten older, but also like it, it, you know, I forgot, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I, I, you have to understand, I just got off of eight hours of pitching jokes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, right, at right. At work. So I'm a little fried. Uh, let's let's talk about a much lighter subject, which is what you originally were at least allegedly majoring in, which is physics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that lasted like one lecture. Really? Um, <laughs> Yeah, they yeah, made the Wikipedia was, page. It's very interesting what, like, will find its way. Your physics professor wrote it in your Wikipedia. <laughs> well, what, oh, that guy doesn't, he never met me. Um, <laughs> I did this one interview for, like, my dad's friend who had, like, a business publication and just needed someone to interview. And so, and for some reason, that interview got added to my Wikipedia page. I have no idea who did it or why. <laughs> Because it's just, but yeah, it is true. I was a physics major very briefly. And then I think I went to, I thought about math, computer science. I, I went down from the hardest, most serious major to, I, I ended up at the absolute easiest one the school offered, which was non-honors English. Um, <laughs> and there was like, I think 85% of the class graduated with honors. And me and all my friends who were writing comedy we're in the 15%. So it was, it was hard. It was hard to graduate without honors, but I just, I lost all interest in school once I discovered uh, writing and just being around comedy writers. It was, it was all I wanted to do. 
I, I think that's a beautiful discovery, especially since, you know, obviously for such a long time, and this is slightly more of a deep dive than is needed for a Simpsons podcast, but it's really interesting how college was was really a privilege to be able to go to when it first was being offered kind of to not just uh the rich and like the fact that you could go to college was really amazing, but then it became something that was like really shoved down a lot of people's throats. And you're making these decisions when you're 17 years old about where you end up wanting to go and what you want your career to be. And it's so much money, especially if you're going to somewhere as prestigious as Harvard. And it's, uh, it's nice to hear, I imagine, especially for people who, uh, are in high school now or, you know, kind of figuring out what they want to do and they didn't end up going to college, like some of their heroes in terms of, uh, writers and, and people in this industry, um, ended up finding out one way or another. Yeah, I learned a lot of stuff. It was a good experience, but maybe I didn't necessarily need it. And they can maybe channel that energy and perhaps money into classes or something else, you know? No, 100%. I mean, the best, you know, I, I, part of me just wishes I dropped out and started writing even earlier. Um, yeah, same here. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. College was, was, it was okay, but it felt, it felt a little bit like wasting time. And there's many, many careers for which it's vital. And, of you know, of course. Yeah. You don't hear any doctors saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, They could just wing it unless they're that one kid from Catch Me If You Can't. <laughs> it would be cool if, you know, in the entertainment industry, there is, um, and I'm sure in other fields as well, but nothing that I know of, you're able to cut corners and you're able to kind of skip the hierarchy, more or less. Like some people can start by working their way up the ladder and other people kind of could cut ahead. And I don't think that exists in the medical field. Uh, it skips in the political field, as we've seen. But like, it's right. <laughs> it's very interesting to see um, the areas that we're grateful that that doesn't happen. <laughs> in my in my career, it's just it's just practice. You know, it's not it's nothing you can learn from a book. And it's it's you know, you just are around funny people, and you just do it over and over and over again. You you eventually get good at it, and that's all yeah. it is. Um, yeah, you know. I've I've always said that comedy is muscle memory, whether you're performing it or you're writing it, you know, totally. I did stand up for 10 years, stopped right before the pandemic. And I'm going to let people think that I stopped because of the pandemic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's my little secret. But um, I I felt like there was something very fluid about like, you know, the muscle memory of performing a stand up set, uh, excuse me, a stand up set and the muscle memory of finding like the rhythm of dialogue for characters on the page and the rhythm of jokes and how musical that can be. It's just about ingraining those tendencies into your bones as you're writing it and just like sort of not overthinking and, and letting it go. A hundred percent. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I've never had the courage to perform in any, any way. It does. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I, I mean, people who do stand up blow my mind. The idea of getting up in front of a crowd yeah. and with, with nothing, and you know, and, <laughs> and just being willing to be judged by, by total strangers is yeah, amazing it, to me. So. It can be great, but it also, I mean, like, I am glad that you've been spared from driving to the armpit of the valley to perform for like five disinterested people at a place called Liquid Zoo. You know, I think you've lived a life that's been good. Well, you, you have to be careful because I'm a proud resident of the armpit of the valleys. So. Oh, well, I'm from there. That's why I name check it. I'm from North go. Hollywood. All right. Brian, I know that Julia and I both really want to ask you more about Saturday Night Live. Yeah. One thing that I am particularly interested in is the fact that you grew up as a Steve Martin fan. And then obviously, Steve Martin has famously appeared on Saturday Night Live, especially uh, with Eric Clapton uh, in 1994. Uh, yes. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> was that the uh, what, what was it like uh, being able to to be a part of something in which Steve Martin, uh, I, I will assume one of your heroes, is going yes. to be there and be potentially saying words that you you had something to do with. Can you walk us through that moment for you? And did you get to meet him? Yeah, it's more terrifying than you can imagine. It was, uh, so I was, uh, you know, they, they often hire there. It's very, it's real. It's, it's sometimes hard to tell if you have a job there. They sort of go, you know. Uh, do I have a job just, there? I, I heard from a friend like, yeah, 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 you're, you're, yeah, yeah you might. Uh, yeah, um, I would check. Uh, I heard from a friend like, who was working there. He said, Oh, you know, you're, you're going to start Monday. And that's how I found it was my friend told me. 
And then oh I go in and we did about we did about two or three weeks on on uh, at the very end of the summer on uh, commercial parodies. Uh, so and then the first guest was Steve Martin. It was oh the season God. premiere. So I managed to get like two of my commercial parodies in my packet got made. Oh wow! Is that common or was that really rare? I got lucky, and uh, the Jim Dowdy was the head writer at the time, and he he just liked these two things I'd written. Uh, which probably That's hired really cool. me and, and and yeah and he just he put them right into um production so i'm you know when you're there you're kind of a producer instantly right. of your own material so i'm i'm telling like i'm you know i'm telling michael mckeon how to read a line which is insane because <laughs> i've seen spinal tap wow. you know five thousand times the ultimate. And, um <laughs> yeah i made the mistake of calling uh die hard a great movie in front of him and he never, oh, wow. <laughs> very angry. Like, you little snot-nosed kid, you don't know anything. And he was right, but it is a great movie. Uh, but I, I stand by that. But you know, it was probably it was probably four years old, at the time, and I'm calling it a great a great film. Um, but yeah, the first week is Steve Martin, and you know, I've only got a few sketches. I have to come up with like new ideas, right? And we go into the the Monday meeting, and everyone you know crowds into Lauren Michaels' office. You've probably heard a million stories about this thing. You know, a Monday is the first time you're meeting the guest and pitching sketches, your sketch ideas to them. And I don't know where to sit. So I just grab a, a place in the, on the floor and I'm, you know, like, I'll, I'll just kind of listen to how this goes and then jump in, you know, at the end with an idea or two. And it turns out that where I'm sitting is where the pitching starts. So I'm the first person <laughs> to see Mark to my idol. No warm up. I don't know. I don't really know many of these people yet. And I'm the new guy. And, you know, and there's, you know, just these comedy giants all around the room and uh and I, I i got through it and jim downey very kindly at the end you know said you know brian kelly everybody he got everyone to clap which is super nice of him because he, he could tell how terrified i was but um steve martin, you know steve martin just kind of listened and nodded and and that was it and uh <laughs> you know, he's very polite uh but you know i don't really grab his attention but i did i actually got a sketch on that week it was a, it was another one from my packet it was wow. just, uh, yeah, it was, it was that. And then I, at that point I was out of material. I had to write all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which was just a nightmare, but, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, I was young enough that, um, and inexperienced enough that they kind of put someone over me to sort of produce that sketch. Thank God. Cause I couldn't have given C Martin a note, you know, if my life depended on it. What was the sketch? <laughs> if you remember it, it was, um, it was just based on this dumb thing I'd done with my friends about the nutrageous uh, candy bar. Our, our <laughs> joke was, uh, you know, we would take a bite and go, uh, I, I think, it was, I forget how, but it was, it's so dumb. Uh, but it was, uh, it's a, mm, it's, you know, it's, it's not very good. Uh, like, as if that was, the slogan, the slogan was like, nut hyphen very good. Uh, and then it, and it developed to like, it's, it's not something you'd want to put in your mouth and, you know, and like, uh, and whatever. So I just had this, it was a scene where there's a board meeting for the, the nut, the people that make the nutrific candy bar. And these two advertising executives was like Chris Elliott. And I think Mark McKinney were singing their jingles and, and they, they couldn't hear that nut sounded like not. taste good okay comments yeah well that's even worse than before uh no better you mean it's better than before. no worse than before it sounds like it does not taste good exactly so super dumb sketch uh <laughs> it got in i don't know why but uh <laughs> it was exciting Excellent. but um yeah like i said like if my friend hadn't been there i wouldn't have been able to you know i i was i was not about to give any notes to steve martin <laughs> right, right. Do you remember any other sketches? You don't have to like name all of them, of course, but like anything that pops out that got on the air that you're particularly proud of, or are there any sketches that you feel were the ones that got away? Um, sure. I mean, that first year, I did a lot of helping out other writers. Again, I was I hadn't learned yet to just sort of throw things out and to to jump in. So I was very self conscious, um, and. So I would do a lot of working with my friend David Mandel, uh, Ian Maxwell Graham, who I ended up working on later with The Simpsons, was amazing, and he he would he would just let me sit in his office and and pitch on his stuff. Um, and Steve Corin was really great, and uh, there were a lot of writers there that were super nice, and that's part of the job, you know, was helping out other writers too. But the craziest story I have was was 
when the Boston Garden was closing down, the old Boston Garden, um, Adam Sandler had this character who was like a townie. And um, so I just wrote an update piece for him, you know, for Weekend Update about his memories of the garden. And, you know, the, the Boston Garden was kind of a terrible place to see any sporting event because you, your view would be blocked by a column and you'd, you'd be seated next to the, the water, you know, the water heater. <laughs> and it was like, it was a really <laughs> junky kind of uh, place. And, uh, and so he was just, you know, going off about this, this amazing, you know, the amazing experience of, of the garden and the time he, you know, he, he, uh, beat up Dr. J and all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, um, so th- what happened was we do dress rehearsal and the, um, uh, cold open doesn't do very well. So they say, you know, so Lauren says the, the Boston, they, they need something to start the show with. And the easiest thing to do is to take an update piece and just quickly throw together a set and just have, have, uh, uh, Adam Sandler talk to camera. So we're like frantically rewriting this thing. So it'll be, so it can serve as the cold open. And it got so late that, you know, the dress, the dress I think is over at around 10 or 10 30. I, f- I forget. It's been a long time. Um, and you know, 1130, you start the show. So we're writing and I have to, you know, try to get Jim Downey to help us out and, and, and get everything approved by him. And, um, and so when the show went live, we were, we were only about halfway through the cue cards. So I'm standing next to the cue card guy who's writing out the sketch and handing them one at a time to be run up to Adam. Uh, while the show is live and we just barely made it. I mean, we made it with about 15 seconds. Of oh my gosh. Um, Did you feel like the way people describe skydiving, you know, like you have so much adrenaline that you can't yeah. fall asleep for days. <laughs> it's terrifying. And, but that's like intoxicating. You know, I bet too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, you just can't, you can't do that anywhere else. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I it's, that was sort of the highlight for me. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't love working there. Um, I don't think that you're alone. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's the common refrain, <laughs> yeah, no, no, especially I, among writers for it. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, I've had, I, I've had friends who've worked there for years and years and, and do love mm. it. It's just like, I, I'm not, I don't love cocaine. Super pressure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we can say it. Thing. There was, there was like no drugs when I was there. And it, you know, imagine like your first job and you're like, this is going to be crazy. And it was <laughs> the mid nineties and there were like no drugs and it was just very like, yeah, very disappointing. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't love the pressure and it's a little bit of a competitive mm. environment, which is how Lauren wants it to be, you know? And I was stunned when I went from that to my first sitcom job and it was completely collaborative and, and that was exciting to me. And that's, that's where I sort of started to relax and enjoy the process. Yeah. I feel like I've heard, and, and forgive me if I've quoted this on this podcast or an iteration of this podcast before, but I, I feel like I've heard the common refrain that Saturday Night Live could be a nine to five job if like Lorne just like loved being home <laughs> instead of, you know, yes. having that <laughs> kind of codependent relationship. Like it, it, there's no reason for staying up all night on Tuesday doing all this stuff. It's like just so ingrained in this weird tradition for tradition's sake if everyone just had healthy relationships with each other and their personal lives, it could be <laughs> completely normal. <laughs> you're, you're totally, I mean, it's a, you know, he's a product of those seventies right. when, when there were, when there were a lot of drugs and people did stay up all night and everyone was super young. Um, you know, there's that, you've heard that Larry David story, I'm sure about, you know, when he worked there, he would get yelled at because he would finish his work at five and go home. And, <laughs> of course. That's, that's not how we do it. And he'd be like, but I wrote three sketches, you know. And so uh, he tells it he tells it a little funnier than I do. And uh, but it's a, yeah, it's it, that's the thing. It's it's I, I I'm not a I'm not anymore anyway, not a late night guy, not a not a, a adrenaline junkie. Yeah. So I like I like the Simpsons where we see we'll sit. We will all sit there staring at the screen for a half hour trying to think of one joke <laughs> that's, that's how i like to work well, i think we should all uh take a half hour break and and we'll talk <laughs> once we're back all right <laughs> hey you've reached dr game show leave your message after the beep hi this is sarah and i'd like to tell you about dr game show Dr. Game Show is a band of geniuses or nerds or brilliant artists or kids or some combination of all of those who get together to make a show like no other that's family friendly. It's an interactive call-in game show podcast. When I found Dr. Game Show, I found joy. I told my friends and family that if they weren't listening, they were wasting joy. I sent them the episodes that made me laugh until I cried, played it for them in the car. They laughed too, laughed their butts off. 
but they still don't listen on their own. So they're wasting joy. And I keep looking for someone to understand me. Maybe it's you. Give Dr. Game Show a listen and find joy. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. And we're back. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey. <laughs> what a great break. What a great break. <laughs> um, is that is that it? I was promised the most clever transition. Brian. I've ever heard. <laughs> Bitch, shut up. <laughs> uh, I know that there are a million things we could ask about SNL, um, and I would like to go back to it just so I make sure that we have enough time just to at least briefly discuss one of my favorite shows of all time, which is News Radio. News Radio is truly brilliant, and when people talk about pilots, uh, I don't think news radio is brought up as frequently as something uh, like Cheers or Breaking Bad. And I would say that it is among one of the more clever and and creative pilots in terms of how to introduce an ensemble cast. And I think the show immediately starts out great and stays consistently funny and amazing throughout. So knowing that I'm obsessed with the show, I would love for you to tell me everything that you possibly can about your experience there, because I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> So delighted to talk to someone who worked there. <laughs> it was so much fun. I learned like an unbelievable amount working there. And it was, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about how great that experience was. It was insanely fun from day one. Um, I joined, uh, I agree about the pilot, by the way. I think it's, it's just about perfect. Um, and I, I joined that. So I, I left Saturday Night Live. I actually left Saturday Night Live because I had, uh, again, it was like they, they kind of let me go, but then, I had a meeting with Lauren and he said, you know, we start in a week and a half. Does that sound good? And I was sort of like, I, I think I just got rehired. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I had a deal for a script at news radio. And um, so I just moved to LA based on that. And the day I moved out here, uh, they let a couple of writers go and they just said, okay, you work here now. Um, wow. It was incredibly lucky. And uh, so it was, I think it was season. It was probably show five or six of the second the first full season of the second season. And uh, yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was an amazing cast. Uh, the writing staff was incredible. It was, it was a very young staff. I mean, Paul Sims who created the show, I think was 29, maybe 28 what? when he created it. He was real. Yeah. He's really <laughs> I'm retroactively young. mad um, at that. <laughs> I know it's crazy. And, and he'd already done spy magazine and Letterman and, and uh, he'd been basically running uh, Larry Sanders. I mean, he, he, he's, He's an unbelievable writer. Yeah. Um, he reminds me of Simon Rich with like that kind of wunderkind element to it. Totally. Yeah. 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 We got to, you know, we got to work with Simon on right. an episode at the It was so much fun. It was, uh, he's so, he's, un, I mean, his shows are incredible. His, his brain his books is are insane. Great. And like all his, um, shouts his and murmurs pieces, all of his books. Now this is just a Simon Rich podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll talk about Simon Rich for a while. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Paul was amazing. It was just it was, you know you got to write for Phil Hartman. Oh my gosh, yeah, of course, and that's a connective tissue to Futurama and The Simpsons. Even though he didn't get to be on Futurama, uh, sadly and devastatingly, that character yeah. Zap is uh, largely, of course, that was written uh, to to have been Phil Hartman. Um, Oh, you, uh, you mean the character I created? I'm glad that you wore your uh, hat to the bragging rodeo. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it's 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 a joke I have with the Futurama writers because I wrote uh, I wrote the fourth episode of Futurama and it was only because I had friends working there. Uh, Lou Morton from News Radio was working at, at Futurama and he said, we don't have a full staff yet. We just need someone to do a draft. I told them you do a good job. And and I had time off in the summer and I was like, yeah, I would love to, cause I loved the Simpsons. And I was like, I will totally write a draft. So I go in, uh, sit down with David Cohen and the writing staff and they have episode four pretty much fully done. Right. I mean the story and we worked on it for a day or two, pitching out jokes and everything, but they handed me the story. They handed me the characters. Zach Brannigan was already drawn, you know, I mean, they, and they said this is, it was supposed to be Phil. Obviously it can't be Phil now, but, and then, but because of the WGA rules, I technically, because he first appeared in a script that I wrote, I and it was a lot of characters that I that I technically created, <laughs> even though I in no way created any of these wow. characters. But I still get payments for them. Oh <laughs> like, my god! It's not really? a lot of money. It's a very small amount of money. But yeah, it's it's still yeah. That is so uh, exciting. But you are a fraud. 
<laughs> oh my god, I'm 100 yeah, 100% a fraud. No, there's no it's only because of this sort of, you know, legal thing that I that I in any sense created them. It was literally just just please do a draft of this story go. That's I mean that's and, wildly cool, but I think that also kind of touches on the misconception that um happens between like fans of like TV culture or you know, it, it makes me think of like the itchy and scratchy and pushy show that like genius at work guy, you know, cuz I'm sure that right. there's like Futurama <laughs> wikis that are like, you know, creating like this monument to you in like brass. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's more there's more to the story than I think what people not to say that you are not a genius worthy of being sculpted in brass, but you know I'm just saying. No, no, I, I am I, I fraud was a much closer uh, <laughs> <laughs> was closer to the truth. Um you know, it's funny, I, I read uh where any show is unbelievably lucky to have fans and you know, thank God for our fans. Um, but most of the time, when they have a theory for why a decision was made, it's it's completely wrong, you know. Uh, and it's not their fault. And it's great that people theorize and talk about the show, and I love it. But you know, it's often well that you know, so and so was on vacation, so we just did this. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, we 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 were eating rotisserie chicken, and so we just said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, yes, yes. Anyway, so I guess we're talking about we're on news radio, right? Yes. Um, uh, what do you want to know? Because there's a million things I could talk about. Well, it seems like a lot of your uh, opportunities came from a friend saying, hey, you'd be good at this. Uh, is that what happened to you on this show as well? Or is this something that you specifically saw out? What was the hiring process like for this? Yes. Uh, Lou Morton, uh, again. Oh, right, 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 right. He got me this job too. No, it's, it's, it's actually, he got me the, the Futurama gig, but he also. Jeez. Okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He, he had worked at Saturday Night Live and left to do. Uh, news radio and uh and i had other friends who worked there i knew paul a little bit but my friend josh lieb worked there and so they they just kind of said to paul you know again we need a script this guy will do a good draft and uh and then you know being hired full-time was just luck was it luck or was it was it what do you think it is about you that you know i I, obviously there is some component of good timing uh in everyone's life uh career personal life everything undoubtedly yeah. but uh, what is it about you that you think does make you someone who's an attractive hire uh in addition to being a good writer because that's not all there is to it or is there a, a facet of your writing that you do think makes you a particularly strong asset to a team no i mean i i don't i, I don't know i I'm, I'm always amazed when anyone hires me for anything but yeah <laughs> i think i think a lot of it is like work hard and be nice is yeah. literally that's my best <laughs> advice to anyone is just you know People don't want to work with jerks. They don't want to work with people who put down other people and and are, are super critical. They want to work with people who, you know, have nice things to say and 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 can be positive. And I'm not the most positive guy. I mean, I get frustrated. And stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, Joel Cohen is like is so, and Rob Joel Cohen and Rob Lazenda are so nice. It's kind. It, it's a little awkward. <laughs> like they're just such good. Like people they're hiding a body that, in the closet. Uh, You're like, when is the other shit? Yeah, there's drop? something. Yeah, no, there's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope to God they murdered someone because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's not. It's not fair. <laughs> but you know, I, it's a lot of it is just is just to you know try to stay positive and and, and be decent and uh, that that's what people want to work with. You know, it's it's it's. I'm not the greatest writer out there. Um, I do you know. I work hard. I do a good job, but guys like Paul Sims and Dave Mandel and Jim Downey are funnier than I will ever be. Um, but you know, that's all right. What I, what I, what I realized early on too, is that everyone's got jokes that only they can tell, you know, um, you know, so if, if you're writing from personal experience, it's always great. And, and just pay attention to what's going around you, going on around you. And, and, you know, you can, you'll, you'll come up with stuff that no one else could. And that's, uh, you know, I'm I'm no Paul Sims, but, uh, but that's, (laughs) But I, but I have a blast doing it, and and uh, you know, and I, I like to think I contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And and what what are some areas of life that you found yourself pulling from that that did kind of give you a unique perspective? The places you're writing from, uh, it changes. You know, so when I was young, it was basically just I was a pop culture junkie, right? And so relatable. We yeah, right, exactly. And <laughs> and but at news radio, we did a ton of pop culture references and you know that show was about people who live at work and the way the kind of people that paul hired was we all lived in the office like we didn't have i didn't have a girlfriend uh 
I never went home. You know, I'd sleep on my couch most of the time and, and get up and play video games and then maybe write a little. And then, you know, that's that's sort of what we did. And so that we wrote the show about people who don't, you know, you, you almost never saw their personal lives. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, when I started at The Simpsons, I was I was single, but I got married pretty quickly. And so, uh, you know, I started writing jokes about being married. And, and, and then when my <laughs> kids came along for a very brief time, I had a boy who was 10 and a girl who was eight. Um, so I had Bart for a Lisa. year, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little less. Yeah. For, you know, the way the birthday, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, and so all of my stories for, well, that's not true, but the, the majority now come from just watching them and, mm. and things they do that make me laugh. And, and, uh, you know, there was like, a we did, I just did the, did you see the Costa Rica show, the trip to Costa Rica? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was living La Pura, Pura Vida. Um, that aired, I don't know, sometime this year. And there's a whole thing with, uh, Lisa is in a panic because her parents, she thinks her parents can't afford this trip. And every, every time they spend any money, she's just freaking out and, and no one can tell her that it's okay. In her case, it's true. (laughs) But, but for years, every time we did anything fun, my daughter would be like, can we afford this? Can we afford this? Are we going to have to sell the house? Literally. And this is like, she's like. A five-year-old who's like, "Are we going to lose the house?" You know? Oh no! <laughs> she's such a she's such a smart kid that it like it worked against her. You know, she's. Uh, oh my god! And, uh, I'm having so, like, flashbacks that, to and my own just... childhood. <laughs> yeah, I remember like when my mom told me like that college wasn't free and that I would have to figure out a way to pay for it, and I was like 13 oh. and I had an existential yeah. freak out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. It, and when you find those little things that, that I mean, because that's pretty universal, but you don't see it a whole lot. So it was, it was fun. You know, a lot of the stories just come from them. And, and so, it, you know, as you go through life, what what you what you know, you know, changes. And um, and I'll be, you know, hopefully writing jokes about my body falling apart when I'm in my 70s, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever. Save it for a treehouse of horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so as someone who was uh, at least momentarily single while writing on arguably the best animated show of all time and one of the best comedies of all time, regardless of mediums. Uh, is that a good pickup line? <laughs> oh, I was already dating my future wife. So I, 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 I have no idea. And I'm proud <laughs> to say I've, I'm proud to say I did retire all my pickup lines. <laughs> <laughs> is your wife also uh, in the entertainment industry? She was, she was, um, she did uh, TV development. Cool. Yeah. And so she, uh, yeah, she worked at a company uh, that you know just produced pilots, and then they got that show. Prison Break was 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 wow. her idea originally. Oh wow! Uh, oh my yeah, God. so she like yeah she <laughs> she had a fun. She's she's really good working with writers, but she fell in love with our son when he got married, and <laughs> and she's like, I think I want to stay home, and I was like, that's great, you know. Cause, uh, so she's she's an amazing mom, and she's happy. She loves doing it, and that's great. so we have these two uh, two pretty awesome kids. That's awesome. I, I ask only because I, you know, I think that, uh, well, I'm just, I'm very curious about whether or not it, uh, how people use their careers, especially um, as writers, because, you know, there's, there's such a glamour to being an actor and to being a musician, but for, for the quote unquote, like right person being a writer on, on something as so funny as some, you know, the things that you worked on, I do think that would be a really like beneficial, like pickup line, essentially, not like a line, but like to say, like, you know, I work on this show seems like something that could clean up pretty well. But it makes sense that you're with someone who uh, is doing things at this at the same level, if not even better than you. So good job. (laughs) What about what about when you were on Joey, though? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we went through some hard times with the relationship. <laughs> uh, like, just tell your parents uh, that I'm a doctor. <laughs> Actually, there was a really funny uh, when uh, at my at our rehearsal dinner. You know, my wife's family hadn't met all my comedy writer friends, and Josh Lee from News Radio gave such a funny toast at the rehearsal dinner that. Frances' mom said to her, why, why, aren't, why aren't you marrying him? <laughs> <laughs> never, I'll never live that down. Right, she's right. Josh is, funny. Josh is funnier than I am. But anyway, um, so, oh, Joey, right? Um, yeah, Joey, you know, I, I had a good time working on Joey. And, 
like Matt LeBlanc is is super nice. Is he? Great. Oh, that's and, good uh, to hear. Okay, well, I'm just really curious. What are the stakes like, and is there a lot of pressure when working on a spinoff show for for some of the most successful huge properties? You know, like to work on something that is a spinoff of of Friends and Seinfeld, who are which is also funny, just because so many people loved to compare the two, even though they're completely different shows. They are. Yep, they're they're both great. <laughs> they're both great, and you know, I used to be the biggest uh, snob in the world, and I was raised to be that way. And my dad really made sure that I hated a lot of my contemporary things and only liked <laughs> old comedy stuff. And um, he definitely, like, I have a song called Open Letter to Myself um, about how I'm an elitist jerk. And in it, I say, you know, you could still be friends with people who like watching friends. And I'm trying to teach myself, like, it's okay. But the last line of it is, you know, um, but if you put on Seinfeld and they don't laugh, like essentially it's over, right. like there's no <laughs> chance. But I, as an adult, I, I found a, a deep love of friends and found it to be incredibly funny and great. Um, in a, just a completely different way than Seinfeld was, which was, you know, and, and no one of them is necessarily like better than the other, even though my preference is usually the stuff that's like Seinfeld. They're both excellent. But my, my point is kind of like, what was it like um, working on on these spinoffs, which I'm sure were so highly anticipated? And uh, were you guys able to have fun with it, or was it was it a, a little bit of stress knowing that it was like this could be huge, or this could maybe not be so great? It's, I mean, it's stressful for sure. Uh, the expectations are really high. The network is all over you, right? When, with the spinoff show too it tends to be. The actor has a ton of power, like the, that, you know, there'll be voices from the old show that are sort of getting involved and, and, uh, it, so you get, you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen, right? Now I, I had, I mean, I had, I had fun working on both shows. Good. Michael Richards was a little bit more of a gallows humor situation because it went south so fast. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, it was like huge first episode and then it, and then it, it just it kind of it, it, it pretty quickly you knew it wasn't going to make it that people just weren't watching again. Joy was Joy was a little different in that the the ratings were good for a while. That one like it it, it never quite worked, but you could see how it would work. Whereas with the Michael Richard show, he was playing I don't know if you ever saw it. He was playing a bumbling detective. It was <laughs> it, but not bumbling enough. He wasn't Kramer enough, and he but also wasn't. Not, it was so. It just you sort of watched episode one episode and you go like oh I, I never want to see this yeah again. <laughs> that's that's a bizarre rock in a hard place of like we're gonna give you a spinoff and like you know what you do on this other show is what Americans like um, but you yeah. can't do that so like as an actor yeah. <laughs> trying to distinguish yourself and flex your muscles and like be balancing the two I feel like is an impossible task. It's pretty impossible. And the great thing about Joey was he was the same character, right? So it was just um, – and his character is great at playing. And he didn't like – that's why Matt was just really great because he just like – he knew what he was. He knew uh, – he's, he's a phenomenal comedic actor. Like yeah, I don't think he gets a credit on Friends because, you know, there were other stars who were bigger on that show. But he's incredibly good. And a lot of the writers for Joey were, were former Friends writers and they all loved him. And so – you know, it, it was it was a it, it was a great place to work, and the two writers who created it, Scott Silveri and Shauna Goldberg, me and are a married couple, and they're some of my my best friends. And so, and you know, I I actually had a similar situation where when in the nineties, I did not like Friends. Yeah, I thought it was right. I thought it was kind of lowbrow, and oh, you know, it's it's easy, and you know, it's not not like Seinfeld where these these, these pristine writerly <laughs> premises. You know what I mean? And I was I was pretty sorry about it, and. I had already obviously come down off that high horse at this point. By the time I took the job at Joey, I was really excited for Joey. But what I learned writing for Joey is it's really hard to write friends. Like I was not particularly good at writing for Joey. You know, it, it was hard. And, and where, you know, we'd be stuck on a scene and I'm like banging my head and I can't figure out how to make it work. And then Scott and Sean would be like, we'll, we'll do this, 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 this. And they'd write this really funny wow. scene. And I'm going like, oh, that was easy for them and really hard for me. Well, you know? it's also like they built their um, own algebra formula like that they had been <laughs> working on. They, Yeah, it was, it was a, a lot of experience, obviously, but also just like talent. And, and like, it's something that like, when you realize that like, 
that something is hard and that you can't do it, you have a lot more respect for it. Mm-hmm. What do you think that it is about uh, the Joey character or, or even just the, the show Joey that was uh, a little difficult to, to, to pull off? Um, and I assume there's some level of if you're a singer, it's really hard to sing badly on purpose. Like it's, and if you're really smart, it could be sometimes hard to, I imagine to, to write for someone who is a little airheaded, but not a complete doofus, right? Like Joey is, is such a funny character on friends because he is a little like, he's not the, the brightest bulb, you know? I imagine there's more to it than that. What What do you think it was that made it a little difficult to write for for that show? Well, it was um, for for me personally. It was a lot. You know, Joey was single, so it was a lot about uh, a lot about dating. He also was living with his sister, right, Grady Mateo, and I think her son, so his nephew. I think it was the. It's been a while. I I had no insight into any of those relationships, really. Um, and so, yeah, I just you know, it, it was the kind of thing like where. I, I used to think Friends was easy because they were doing dating stories and this that kind of thing, and but here's the thing: like I, I didn't date a whole lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I uh, I wasn't particularly good at dating uh, until I met my wife, and I was like, oh, okay, this is this is great. But I I was it was never never came naturally to me. I was always nervous around women and not particularly good at it. And so, uh, yeah, for me personally, it was a lack of experience really in those worlds and. Mm. And then in terms of the show, I just don't like, how do you match the chemistry with friends? You just can't. Mm-hmm. There's something sad about a spinoff uh, of Friends, the show that is based on Friends, where <laughs> you're only, <laughs> you get yeah. where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, it's you know. different than like listening to Paul's solo stuff, you know, like they can still create music and get other musicians, but yeah. Yeah. No, you should have were like, I wish, I wish Joey would hang out with Monica again. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> you know, let's take a quick break and, and think mm-hmm. about all the episodes in which we wish that Monica had showed up in Joey, <laughs> and we'll be right back. <laughs> I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Back. Hey. I love the show episodes, by, or, by the way, just in terms of um, Matt LeBlanc getting to uh, have fun and for us to see uh, how how skilled he is as a comedic performer. And Phoebe was such a funny character, but to get to see Lisa Kudrow in the comeback was so amazing. And I think I think Phoebe and Joey were characters that like were easily written off especially to those of us pretentious folks who hated friends we kind of could look at elaine who's such a smart and funny and witty character and say like well (laughs) elaine versus phoebe are you kidding me or kramer versus joey there's no world and then you realize oh we don't have to compare things right right (laughs) and you know this actually also brings me to a different point about tv writing um especially to uh snobs former snobs or current snobs if you are a current snob who hasn't really done a lot of uh digging into the world of tv writers you might think that a show that you hate is is comprised of writers that are bad and that i think is a really interesting lesson for you which is that some of the funniest writers in the world have written on shows you probably don't like um, because this is a a job and everybody needs to work Um, but also there's fun to be had on shows that have slightly lower stakes and they pay better a lot of the time too I don't know about that we're going to have to get into WGA minimums (laughs) in that part of the discussion but but yes But, but for example, a, a um, brilliant show that only airs on this tiny little network that no one has heard of um, wouldn't necessarily pay as well as 
as a, a massive network, you know, something like something like Big Bang Theory, which, you know, I also mentioned in my song is hating. And I, I thought that show was so bad. And I later learned the hard way by performing a song about how much that show sucks. Uh, I, I performed it in front of people who were in the show and worked on the show without knowing. Um, oh, no. and, and it was a very, uh, a very humbling experience. Yeah, and- what yeah. is Jim Parsons like when he's pissed, Allie? I want to know. <laughs> he's not saying bazinga, I'll tell you oh, that. Boy. But, um, <laughs> so we've touched on news radio a little bit. We've touched on the, 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 the fact that you created uh, Phil Hartman, which is amazing. I created Phil Hartman, yes. I'm rewriting the Wikipedia page as we talk. It's, and it's, not, it's the W the WGA says I created Phil Hartman, so you know it's not my fault. It's not a huge it's not a huge check, but you get a check. Um, I get a <laughs> you know, last time we talked about the Simpsons, snooze. We will not be talking about the Simpsons this time. That was the old podcast. <laughs> But but we didn't touch on uh, you are credited uh, as a writer on Simpsons Tapped Out. Is that a mistake or is that, you know, just something that all the Simpsons writers have to do like jury duty at some point? What is that process like? Well, I, I don't work on it anymore. And it's only because I did it for years. There were, I think there were four of us that originally did it. Uh, it's really sort fun. Of, I love Tapped Out. It's oh, I, I it was so much fun to work on it. It really came from, uh, you know, we were looking around to do a mobile game and we, do you remember the, the Smurf Village or something, Smurf Village or whatever it yeah. was? Yeah. It, it's like a, it's like a proto tapped out. And we did something that I think was really smart, which is that we said, let's rip this off and parody it, you know, because like what the Simpsons, one of the things the Simpsons does really well is parody. And we were like, let's just make our game a blatant rip off of this thing. And we'll, we'll be completely honest about what a rip off it is and how it's a, you know, so when when you start playing Tapped Out, Homer is playing the Happy Little Elves. Oh, great! Uh, yeah, right. The Happy Little Elves game, which is basically the Smurf Village, um, and so you know, the, the, I, was, I trying to remember who the original four were. It was Stuart Burns kind of runs the thing, um, and he he works on the show four days a week and then spends one day every week working on just Tapped Out. Um, but so the, yeah, there were four of us, and we did all the original updates. So you know what would happen is we. We'd say like uh, for a long time I did every every time it was a Fourth of July update. Um, I, I would just do that, and it's a it's a huge amount of work for not very much money. Uh, <laughs> but the great thing is is that no one edits you, right? Like I I'm so lucky to have this job in The Simpsons. I love it to death, but everything I do goes through a huge number of people, right? Of course. The flip side of that is I get to work on everyone else's things and, and, you know, you have jokes in every show and it's great, but there's something really fun about just being able to write a joke and then it's, it's on phones a month later and no one has changed a word. You know what I mean? Um, right. So, and, and what the stakes could not be lower because I'm convinced that 99% of people don't read a word. of. <laughs> I'm write. not sure about you know, that, though. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, maybe do, I'm only talking to those people, <laughs> the kind of people that listen to a Simpsons yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah. I feel like if there's anything that, like, you know, there's so many different apps out there, so many different, like, mobile games, and um, I feel like, you know, the it's hard to stand out and the like compliment that i hear about tapped out time and time again is how well written it is and like how baffling that is like i think it melts people's brains a little bit because you know i think there's also like a familiarity and the detachment between like the creators of the show and the game that it's based on you know like it'd be bizarre if we all played monopoly based on some other pop culture property and like the writing for the monopoly board was really sharp like it it would break my brain at least so i feel like people do notice and they love it it's it's the one like what jim brooks you know every time we do a game or anything he wants it to be he wants the writers involved and he wants all the content to be written by us. And it's really smart because it, it is unlike other games. Every, every line of dialogue in that is written by a full-time Simpsons writer. It's just, it's really enjoyable. And, and you get to like, we, we decided very early on that the game would make fun of the people playing it mm-hmm. would tell them they were dumb to spend money on I it, love it. <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And EA was really cool about that. And they just, you know, I mean, 
they didn't have any choice because Jim Brooks insists on that when he sets up a deal. But they, you know, but they were laughing along with us, and it just it became this like really fun sort of anti game, anti anti freemium game, right, where we right. were constantly talking about how dumb freemium games are, <laughs> and they're a complete rip off, and you know. And, and fans have been super cool about it, and they, they still spend money on it, even though we tell them not to. And I mean, we we thought we're like this, will, this thing will go for a year, and we'll be done with it. And I I, I don't know how long it's been. it might be seven or eight years at this it's point. It's been a while. Yeah, people love it. Yeah, I know somebody who proudly declared to me recently that they're on like level three hundred and fifty seven or something crazy. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, they're like I, I yeah. do think I'm the last one playing it. Is what they also said. So sorry right. about that. <laughs> But they're still there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's been really it's it's so fun to just run run into people out in the world. Like, it's funny because the people uh, people will find out I, I work for the show and they'll say, "Oh, that's really cool." If people find out I work on I work on Tapped Out and they play it, the reaction is ten times. Wow, before. that's so cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because it's just it's such a part of your life. You know, The Simpsons now is in you know it's a lot a lot of time you know people watch it but they. They don't even know it's still on the air and they watch it reruns <laughs> or whatever it is. And tapped out is like, you're, you know, you, you, you've played it. I've, I've played it. You're just, you're kind of checking in with it like several times a day. So it's much more a part of your life. Right. And it feels more intimate too, because there is that like two way street of engagement. I'm, I'm sounding like I'm in the marketing meeting for this, <laughs> but, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, and, and I think we're seeing that too, you know, we're recording this during the pandemic and animal crossing has become such a huge thing and people are interacting with each other within that. And I think that like, there is that need of like having this sort of intimate corner of interaction with your favorite thing or escapism to a, you know, very colorful world that is not our current reality. And yeah, I think you guys are doing the Lord's work. How about that? <laughs> All right, but you will admit to me that you that you've flipped through dialogue without reading it. Yes, Julia. <laughs> of course, I'm not Good, insane. I've got gonna... places to be, Brian. <laughs> hey, did you ever did you ever get the Grumple and do his quest? No. Oh, it's one. It's one of my favorite things I've ever written. I swear okay. to God, on Tapped Out is there's a quest where the Grumple. It's basically a long Doctor Seuss. Uh, it's written in sort of Dr. Seuss's meter mm-hmm. about the Grumple coming to Springfield and trying to and moving into the Brown House and then having a, a fight with the with the Simpsons, and <laughs> it literally is one of my favorite things I've ever written, um, which is so dumb to say, but I but I, I no dumb you know, is good. I don't good. work on the game anymore because I yeah I ran out of jokes basically for tapped out, <laughs> and I said to Stuart at one point I was like I just I can't do this because I'm just I'm recycling and um, used to be fun we I, I had a thing where. Uh, I made some anti NRA jokes and I got a lot of, a lot of people got really mad on the internet and that was super fun. (laughs) So I, that, that kept me going for a while when I, and I just kept putting anti NRA jokes, (laughs) just, 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 you know, just being a troll. Um, but eventually the thrill wore off. So. Well, I was, I was going to say that the grumple and the, like the dumbness of it, it, it like pretty effortlessly circles us back to the beginning of this discussion, which is, you know, you writing, not very good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, but you, but you writing things that you find to be silly and dumb, you know, for the lampoon and writing these sketches that are like referencing a silly, dumb joke that your friends had and, um, that to me, I think is like the core of good comedy, like that it doesn't take itself too seriously, that it comes from something so dumb that you're like, this is, we can't, we're wasting time. And then the commitment <laughs> to making that dumb idea reality, I think is like the ultimate. So I love it. Yeah. It's, it, it's funny when something like just a way that you waste time with your friends then turns into a an entire lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> like when you're really enjoying something, that's how you, that's when you know it's great. Like when we're when we're in the room and and we start pitching jokes and all of a sudden it's it's easy. That's like you go, "Oh, okay, we figured this out." And and um sometimes you just have to struggle and you have to but but when it's just fun and you just feel like you're, you know, you're 16 yeah. again making jokes Aww. with your friends. Like that's the great that then you know you like oh, we got a great premise and we figured this out and it's easy. Yeah, it, I love. It that. reminds me. I mean, I yeah. feel like we all anyone that's like specifically wanting to go into comedy as a career, like I think we're all chasing that playground feeling of 
being there with our funny friends and trying to make them laugh. And for me specifically, it was Monday morning quoting whatever happened on SNL over the weekend and like trying yep. to match the voice. 100%. Yeah, it, it's those moments that I just want to experience over and over in every writer's room. And like, I'm just trying to find those new pockets of like those funny kids on the playground. I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> no, you're Definitely not. not. That's, that's why it's just such a fun a fun career. You know, if you, if, 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 it, if you get lucky and it works out, it's just like, it's, you shouldn't be able to make a living doing this. I but, know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the fact that you got to be on our podcast, I, know I mean, all. the luck involved there. In <laughs> the recap of your life, this is truly in the biopic, the, the movie biopic. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, that last act. And this is when the music crescendos. So you're yeah, welcome. people no, they, say, they, "What song do you want? What song do you want in your funeral?" And you're you're just going to say this episode of that podcast. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's really like you, you're on a podcast once, and you know you, you know and that that's nice, but it's really the second right. appearance. Where you just, this is us you know, uh, asking you to sit on the couch, uh, Johnny Carson style. <laughs> right. By the way, I am so positive. I told the same story as I told no. in the first podcast that. Yeah, oh yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, so but they got they got worse with age. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This was uh, such a blast. It was really great to get to know your journey here, and and the fact that you've written on so many incredible shows, but are still such a down to earth and uh, easy person to talk to, really says a lot about you. And we really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Well, we love you guys, and, and and you know everyone was excited when they when they found out when they found out it was my turn to go on the oh, show. Really? Oh, really? Uh, so your yeah. turn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're working through yeah, the yeah. Rolodex. It's, no, it's it's really it's we're it, this is it's really fun, and we're just lucky that anyone cares at all. And, oh, and you guys make it really enjoyable. Oh, so thank man. you, man. You bet. And then uh, if there's anything that you would like to plug, uh, please plug away. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. I perfect. That's the best answer I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I got nothing going on. So, I'm good. <laughs> well, Julia, um, if people wanted to find you on social media, where could they find you? Oh man, thanks so much for asking, Allie. Um, I'm at Julia Prescott and all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Julia, thank you so much for asking. You could find me at Allie Gertz and all the things, and you could find us at Simpson Spot. Yeah, and Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We are a member-supported show, so go to maximumfun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Swish. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Smile you later. Smile you later. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.